In what's been a devastating year for many industries, the UK's live music sector has been hit particularly hard. At the end of March, nightclubs and music venues around the country closed their doors in a bid to stem the spread of COVID-19. No one knew how long this period might last. Nine months later, and many of these spaces remain closed. Some will never open again. With the threat of further lockdowns looming, journalist Will Pritchard visited grassroots venues and spoke to artists in London, Hull and Manchester to find out how they're responding. This is a story not just about bricks and mortar, but about community, resilience and the fight to keep the lights on. Well, the venue is an old uh, council estate pub, flat roof, pretty basic in a way, but it's been lots of art put into it, lots of colour, stage with a nice little PA in the corner, and it all seems very quiet at the moment. I'm Tim Perry, and I'm the booker at the Windmill in Brixton. There was that big cultural recovery fund of 1.57 billion or whatever, and we didn't get any of that. We got a small emergency grant uh, from Arts Council previously uh, to tide us over to pay rent until the end of September. And incidentally, uh, our glorious freeholders, international property magnets, uh, tried to double our rent during COVID, but we fought that and won. From the 1st of October, we were like totally, you know, lo- losing like say 200 quid a day. Um, and that projected towards the end of March when everybody thinks there might be a glimmer of hope uh, that sort of came up to like f- about 50 grand or whatever which is a lot, lot of money so that's why Music Venue Trust were doing the fundraiser Good afternoon everybody, my name's Mark David I'm the CEO and founder of Music Venue Trust um, and the theme of this video is um, all about our save uh, save the 30 hashtag save the 30 hashtag save our venues campaign it's quite a lot of money we need to raise i mean god bless you all honestly it's you've already you've already raised over a hundred thousand pounds in the first 24 hours towards a target of 1.75 million so uh, you know this is doable it just by you without so this boost so and we had um, I think morale would have been slipping quite a lot, you know, of like, when are we ever going to get out of this? And I think, you know, crowdfunding or community funding has been, you know, such a boost to everybody that works here. And like in a, less than a week this time around, we've had 14 grand, I think. And lots of offers of help, lots of people writing to councillors and MPs, you know, our councillors are going, help, <laughs> we just get, you know, we're just getting so many messages, you know, and like from constituents and also from all around the world, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been like quite humbling, really, looking at it and the comments especially. I was just chatting to Tim and, and this, the windmill has been the kind of most successful out of the, the 30 that the Music Venue Trust have picked out. And I think that's because the way the venue treats people and the communities that have formed here. I'm Jelly Cleaver. I'm a jazz artist from South London. And you know, yeah, people really want to support it. Like, I really want to be able to still get a pint here in like a year's time, you know, like I really do. I think we're sort of a weird venue in that we're a very local venue, yet we're in the big city and we've got the chance, you know, we've got 
the advantages that gives. So we've got like, you know, there's always bands and musicians available, but it always feels like it's actually like a Brixton venue, you know, or a South London venue rather than a venue in the capital. The real bulk of people that play here actually come from south of the river. And I, th I think that tells, you know, gives longevity or whatever. It's got some more roots than just being a, you know, a hall that puts on touring bands or, you know, or the best bands they can get. I get bored easily, so, <laughs> um, and I'm not very good at admin either, so if I were to probably run like a sort of venue that had a lot of bands that required contract signing and all that, I'd, I'd run it into the ground in no time through my admin efficiency and, you know, attention deficit or whatever. So you're always looking for new things and Black Midi sent me something through. We, we've enjoyed coming to gigs at your place. We're just a noisy band and we've been, you know, Brit school and stuff and we just want to try this out, you know. We don't care when we play. All right, mate. Brilliant. You're first on the Monday night. After sound check, we bumped them up the headline. <coughs> and um, they, were, they were astonishing. Um, yeah, I think it's really as simple as without the windmill, without Tim, we, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be where we are right now. I'm Morgan from Black Midi. So the, the story of the band kind of, you know, coming out of school and like most bands do, we were looking for gigs and the only venue who did reply was the windmill. And that kind of speaks for itself in terms of the kind of open arms attitude they have towards artists you know you, you really don't get that everywhere which doesn't make sense really because your job as a venue is to facilitate artists and art that surrounds that area you need ideas you need ide ideas i think are probably more important than the actual physical space but what the physical space allows you to do is i think i let a lot of it you know i was thinking about like the concept of DIY gigs and what a hassle they are. You know, you have to get your sound engineer, you have to, you have to get the, the gear and everything, you have to get the back line, you have to do everything. We've sort of probably got everything that you need to do a DIY gig. Uh, we've got everything there. All you have to do is put, pick the bands and publicise it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why spaces, you know, the, the physical space is important. The ideas are always going to be more important than the physical space. But if you can have a physical space that allows people to enact those ideas without having to go through all the fucking process of organising sound, organising lights, organising this stuff. So all they really have to do is concentrate on making the night really good instead of all the other, you know, shit that we've got just got set up for them. I think it's a little bit of, you know, like the punk DIY attitude. Like, um, we're just a bit more used to being on our feet and kind of, you know, reaching out, asking for help, um, seeing how things go without knowing that it's definitely going to work out. Like, it's just a bit more of an attitude that we can, we can get by, you know, we can, we can see what we can do. If it doesn't work, then you tried, you know. <laughs> if we want to encourage younger people to get involved in, with the arts, and that may start at primary school, secondary school, we're having like guitar lessons or whatever. If we don't have the, the bridge where they can kind of hone in on those skills, which is what we did, which we, what, that was what we were able to do. We left school and then we were able to be in a safe environment and space where we felt as if we weren't going to be judged. And that allowed us to make mistakes, essentially. That allowed us to grow 
as people, but also musically and artistically. And I think that is the bridge between, you know, starting, starting to get involved with music and it becoming your profession. The bridge of like being in a space where you, you just make mistakes and hone in and actually find out what you like and find out who you are. I think places like this allow that. And it's not a coincidence at all that so many artists feel so strongly about this place because it's just somewhere which is easy to be. You know, it's a nice looking, lively little place, you know, but it's really, it's the people that really make it. For me, Hull especially is is, is very community-led. Uh, you know, there's only one way in and out, and that's over the Humber Bridge. So, looking down south, we can be often quite isolated. Who likes pop, 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 popular music? You fed it every day on the commercial, 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 commercials. My name's Mez, I am the lead singer from a band called Life, uh, from Hull, uh, and I'm currently sat in an empty polar bear in Hull. As a band, we've played this venue quite a lot. Uh, it's one of the places that you would come and start out and play and people would mix and, you know, it's almost like a springboard venue. That you, we've gone on to do lots of tours worldwide and stuff like that, but this is kind of like you'd come home and you'd see, on a Tuesday night they do a local night, and it's, it's, it's a way of mixing and meeting and, uh, and sort of like starting your career really as, as a musician uh, and a place just to be involved in the community and um, it's just sad to see these buildings so derelict at the moment. I'm Mark Hall and my job at the moment is to try and resurrect the, the Polar Bear which closed in July of this year. I mean the company actually parked off a couple of juicy bits of the company and kept that running and put all the staff into the bits that went bust. So the CEO is still in a job now, running a few juicy contracts. But yeah, everyone was quite emotional about it. I kept asking the question, right, how much money have we got? I mean, are we going to survive this? And he kept saying, yeah, 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 we've got enough money to get through till November. And if it doesn't get through, if we, you know, if we don't make it till November, then we're screwed. And then July, out of the, out of, just out of the blue, he just said, oh, we're having a meeting tomorrow. We had a meeting uh, and we're bust. And that was, that was it. So it was a real surprise to everybody. I've been working for this company for 23 years, something like that. So it was like basically quite, um, you know, it was my life's work. So for it to just be over in like the blink of an eye was, was, was crushing, really crushing, yeah. So we really quickly, uh, because we really, I think we really quickly came to the conclusion that we were all going to band together and reopen. It was it, it, almost in the blink of an eye that this was going to happen. So, like, we were quite, oh, no, we've all lost our jobs. Oh, what's going to happen, you know? But very quickly it was like, no, let's do it. Let's, let's reopen it. And I just figured if we start a community interest company, then that sort of helps us 
as a business protect yourselves against the businessman you know because I think that's what's ruined a lot of the music industry anyway is like big business so I just figured if we were a community interest company we looked after ourselves and the community in um, I think it was August we started a crowdfunding campaign and that was just astonishing at how um, public reaction to that because I was expecting a couple of thousand quid maybe a few people sticking their hands in their pocket but as you know we reached 19 I think it's 19 and a half thousand pounds now so like well, we're absolutely astonished at the, um, the public's response to this so that's that's really what's buoyed us up all this time is that the public want this so we're gonna have to you know fulfill it we're gonna have to deliver this so yeah I think it's great um, particularly in Hull the with it being such a small city and a very proud city as well the Hull music scene is a community I'm Steph, I play in Low Hummer and I play the synth. The amount of people that I know in Hull that I've met just from bumping into at the Polar Bear and chatting and things like that um, is, is crazy. Um, the Polar Bear's kind of like the home of music in Hull. So I think to actually take it on and promote it as a community venue is halfway there already. Um, and to take advantage of the community that's already there, I think will be a really great thing. I talk about this with the band all the time. We're, we don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna go if we can go back to work in May or whatever. Um, I guess like I'd like to see the whole industry as a whole come together more um, and support grassroots to the to the to the other end of things because everything's been so decimated and, and so dissolved this year, I, I feel like there is that unison that is needed. You know, everyone needs to feel like they're supported and these kind of venues and, and community aspect is, is one way of achieving that. It's a real personal thing. It, it's, you know, we could go on a big tirade about capitalism and how money runs up. And, but if we can put this community uh, ownership onto the people that are here, it's got a more, it feels good, you know, it's, that's the bit for me that really like it, it, it bringing it home. It's like it's that feeling of doing something that's worthwhile. It's not just about spreadsheets and turnover and, and profits. It's actually doing something for real. And music is for real. We can do something. We can nurture new talent. And then th their successes aren't furnishing someone's like holiday villa in wherever or nice big pay packet or a CEO and all that crap so it's just it's it's just real it's about the musicians the people yeah it's togetherness it's like a gang it's like a giant youth club you know it's like it's like that so I'm going to mention the nighttime industries because um, while you can see uh, a way back to some kind of activity for for theatres with um, socially distanced seating for galleries and museums with um, safe walking routes. Uh, there are industries that have got no return in sight and the nightclub industry, uh, which I used to work in, is, is a social industry. It's, it relies on communal activity and it's facing a really a particularly difficult future until we develop a vaccine. And I welcome, of course, the 1.57 billion that the government has set out for, for culture and arts and heritage. I understand that the guidance on that is on how that money can be used is, is due next week and what I would 
plead with the company to, when, while that guidance is being finalised, don't forget that nightclubs are an important part of our culture. Uh, electronic dance music is one of the art forms in which this country we, we are actually truly world class. So let's not define arts and culture too tightly and too traditionally. And remember that our music venues and nightclubs are in particular need of support. And might I suggest that there's over 20 So in March, we, well, I suppose in March, we had the first club night of um, a party called, which was something we've been talking about for probably best part of a year. My name's Finn. I'm a DJ and producer in Manchester, and I run a record label and run a club night too. I think we've been talking about starting a night or in the abstract doing a party together for absolutely ages, um, and it came together sort of at the start of 2020 from new year's onwards we started pulling together a concrete idea of what we wanted to do we had the first rave in soup kitchen basement which was really in my opinion quite transformative for me i thought it was it was exactly what i wanted to be doing in soup kitchen basement and it felt very um it felt like we were treading new ground slightly in terms of the way we were all playing and yeah there was a lot of optimism and potential in that first night i think where we all thought this is great so yeah we did this first night it was really good party it was absolutely amazing and then we locked down (laughs) on the monday three days later clubs were shut uh for the foreseeable which has obviously left us all in i suppose limbo in terms of that night's shadow and what it meant to us all i guess my name's Anz, I'm a producer and DJ based in Manchester and I run a club night with Finn, Jungle Joe, Tom Boogism and Chunky. I think that night is just like, it's cast this huge kind of shadow over um, my life. Like, and I think Finn's right in that like at the time there were lots of moments where you'd kind of look around and look at everyone and like kind of, I think because we just knew that like it wasn't, nothing else was promised but that night it was like we kind of I feel like everyone just like put in that little bit of extra effort like on the night itself you know from DJs to dancers like everyone just felt it felt really like you felt a shift and I guess like looking at it now I don't think we knew like the kind of the scale of the shift um in the broadest sense and like where we'd end up now but I think it's suspended now in like this in this um solution in this like I think I called it Brian the other day but like you know it's kind of preserved it's it's preserved in like this kind of yeah glittery Brian or something where like it's it can never spoil like it can never kind of um go off because it's all we have left of it I think a space can like make or break a night um, sometimes just in terms of like when everything's open or when everything's normal I think that the right space is almost like as much of a protagonist in the night as like the DJs or the dancers or everyone else's um, and it's why I think we're I, I guess speaking for myself and Finn and Jungle Joe and Chunky and um, Boogers and kind of party call crew I feel like the space was a key player like to be in Soup Kitchen on that night um, with those specific lights on and with you know that specific setup. it was as important as whatever the big, biggest banger or um, 
you know, funniest moment was. I've heard, uh, oh no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't talk about this because it sounds really funny yourself, but there's a really great Goldie quote about Metalheads Nights where he says when he heard really great records at Metalheads, he'd imagine himself remembering them. And I think that night I kept thinking, this is good, this is really, you know, I'm going to think about this for weeks to come, months to come. These spaces as well, in them being kind of protagonists and stuff, it's meant that like for times like now, once you find the right space, it kind of becomes like this utopian thing where like, it's, you kind of get like body load from remembering like being in that space. Yeah, that I think that's actually dance music is about a desire, a desire to dance. It's about longing and desire, and there's a there's something that it stimulates in you that it, you want to dance if you can fulfil that or not. Yeah, obviously there's nothing better than hearing a big record and dancing in a club with people, but they function outside of that. It's speaking to something else, which is about a longing to be with people and celebrate music. This petition is called Let Us Dance. People don't expect to go back dancing in nightclubs straight away, but they do want them to still be standing when they can go and celebrate when this pandemic is over. These are not dispensable businesses that we can allow to wither and die during this pandemic. We cannot assume that we'll just resume to normal business and they'll be replaced with shiny new venues and all will be well. If these businesses don't survive the pandemic, we'll be losing our city's character, part of our history. I want the government to look at I building suppose I in... I didn't really think about clubbing again until we were quite away into lockdown and I suddenly just started getting just pining for it and really missing it and not necessarily consciously worrying about it but sort of yeah a growing sense of loss I guess which um, especially when you know you're producing dance records and you engage with it a lot um, yeah you just you're not getting that fixed there's, there's a big hole of yeah a dynamic to these records that you're not really getting. It is that kind of really age-old thing of like knowing what, not knowing what you had till it's gone and like not understanding just how important, like how much it means to you. And I think like, I can't really speak for kind of like wider society's disregard for um, clubs and you know, it kind of, it's kind of always felt like that way in a little bit, in a, I don't know, it's just like, it's always felt like it was never that important to other people and it's kind of what makes it so important to you and so important to your community or your culture or whatever that, um, you know, it is a meaningful space. We were, we were talking about this the other day, actually, me, Anna and Joey in chat, and um, I think you're going you're gonna to have to be very careful on the first night back because it's going to be dependent on how early it is, whether it's your first night on or whether it's literally people's first night back and it's you know people's first night out that's that's gonna be so raw with like emotion and people are gonna get overwhelmed quite quickly i think by like a, a social space a social happening like that yeah i, I think you've got to be careful don't play something with like a, a giant piano breakdown too early because everyone will cry and then you'll be like right <laughs> it's awkward now like so you've got to yeah i think we're gonna to have to be What's the word? Sensible. Sensible about, like, you know, making sure that everyone feels comfortable getting back into it rather than just going, wham, it's Sweet Harmony by Liquid. Like, it just feels a bit, yeah, it's like not eating your pills in the, in the queue, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
This story was produced and reported by Will Pritchard, with voiceover by me, Eliza Lomas. As a magazine, Crack is deeply connected with the UK's live music scene. And like many of the venues included in this story, we've only survived 2020 thanks to our supporters. You can join and help keep the magazine independent by visiting crackmagazine.net forward slash support. Thanks for listening.